Welcome to Manga University. Brought to you by the DAO of Otaku. I'm Ziki. And I'm Bill. And this is the podcast for manga and comic book creators and fans alike that want to dive deeper into the art of creating great stories. Bill and I are comic creators trying to perfect our craft and we'd love to bring you guys along with us. So, last week we looked at protagonists i.e. the central character of your story, or the hero if you prefer, and we broke down some of the key elements that you would want to consider when constructing a protagonist that readers are going to fall in love with, and we also dissected some of the most iconic heroes and protagonists that we have come across in all forms of fiction. But as cool as a protagonist may be, oftentimes they can't carry the story by themselves. They need a supporting cast to really bring the story to life. And that's going to be the subject of today's conversation, i.e. supporting cast, supporting characters. What should you be thinking of when building this ensemble of people that are going to feature in your story? And to begin with, I think definitions help because it's quite a broad term or category, supporting characters, because it can really mean anything from the sidekick or the rival. In the case of Sherlock Holmes, you have someone like Dr. Watson, who is arguably the most important character in the story, with perhaps the exception of Sherlock Holmes himself. And then you have maybe a really, really minor character, like the Asian shopkeeper. <laughs> I don't know why I used that example. <laughs> that's, that's super specific. I don't even know what you're making reference to. No, no, I think there was a, there was a stereotype about how the Asian characters in American films are always the bookkeeper or the the shop attendant or do you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) But where where I'm trying to go with this, okay, I'm I'm still still with it. Where I'm trying to go with this is the idea that the secondary character can be fairly insignificant as far as the plot is concerned, concerned to highly significant. So the scope that we're looking at for this topic of secondary characters is actually supporting characters. This is the, all the cast that don't necessarily have assigned roles, but anyone in between the main character and the main villain of the story. Everyone. Everyone, completely everyone in the story. Okay, so there's a broad range. So why don't we identify some of the examples that we see in stories? Very common examples include the love interests. We also have the mentor. There's the rival or the sidekick as well as the companion. Usually there are are several companions and their personalities will always juxtapose that of the protagonists. So these are some examples of different types of supporting characters that you see. One show that springs to mind, I don't know why, but it's an animated show I used to watch when I was a teenager and it's called Wolverine and the X-Men. You see already from that title, we know Wolverine is the the protagonist and the X-Men are the supporting characters and various members of the X-Men fulfill some of the roles that I mentioned earlier. So that's just one example. And by the way, I'm not saying Wolverine is the star of the X-Men. I'm just saying that in that particular series, they, they wrote it as though he was the protagonist. I mean, he, he is the main character of the X-Men. I don't care how much trouble we get into. <laughs> okay, you said it, don't I? A lot of sub-roles that you can apply to, to supporting characters, like especially in this context with Wolverine and the X-Men, I think it's called a deutagonist. So basically, like literally the word secondary character, but it means the not the protagonist, but the other focal main. If you watch Hunter x Hunter, if it's gone and Killua, 
you watch Naruto, it's Naruto and Sasuke and so on and so forth. But with something like the X-Men, it's not so cut and clear, but Wolverine's rival, quote unquote, that's a, a rival character who is a good guy or mostly aligned to the good side that challenges the, the main character constantly. Not challenge like, come at me, bro, but challenges as in how far has the character come and how we, we, can, we can scale how far they can get based on how far the, the secondary character is. And for Wolverine, that is Cyclops. And the love interest would be Jean Grey and the mentor would be Professor X. And all of those, all of those um, sub-roles are, actu- are actually, you can break them down into li- literary functions. They, like as much as they're characters, they serve a function to the story. And I think that is my notes on like the entire Wolverine and the X-Men. Yes, I think that perfectly surmises Wolverine and the X-Men. To be honest, I, I'm not a particularly a huge fan of that series, but it's just a really good example to illustrate what we're talking about. And that's one way of thinking of supporting characters. In other words, we've defined the roles or some of the most common roles, love interest, mentor, rival, companion. The companion category has many, many different ways it can manifest. So it's not a hard and fast relationship, if that makes any sense. But another way of thinking of supporting characters as well is by necessity. In other words, if you're writing a romance, then you need a love interest by default. If you're writing a political drama, then you're going to need politicians in your story. Let's take the example of Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. It's one of the most elaborate, fantastical worlds I've ever seen. And it's a world where you have dragons, elves, orcs, dwarves. You have royalty, dynasties, etc., etc., and therefore you're going to need a dragon character you're going to need a dwarf character you're going to need an elf character and and that's another way to map out your your supporting characters is what will i actually need to tell the kind of story that i want to tell and then like we suggested in the previous episode you can take certain personality traits and ascribe them to those characters and what you want is the is for their personalities to either juxtapose your main character or complement them but you never want them to be exactly the same i mean one really cool thing you can do is this is very common with a main character protagonist and his rival is they have the same ambition or the same goal and that's the common ground but then the juxtaposition is the fact that their personalities are so completely different and it's like how can these two people who are so different want the same thing that's always an interesting and fascinating way to to approach the, the the story you know we brought up the example of naruto and sasuke gone and killua wolverine and cyclops as well to a lesser extent but th- these are some of some of the ideas that or, or some tools you can utilize to construct really compelling supporting characters to bring it back to manga because the one that came to mind before the podcast that i wrote in my show notes is uh, one punch man as as much as the titular character saitama is the focal character and we do follow his antics from episode one all the way to episode 12 or from the start of the manga up until the present um, chapter i think it's really generous that we're interpreting the world through because on a previous lecture that we had on this uh, podcast we spoke about goals that your character should have saitama doesn't really have a goal 
he just bumbles from one fight to the next, which is totally fine in the context of him being superpowered, I mean, overpowered. But Genos is the one who is seeking power for a reason. And I think it's through him that we're interpreting the world because he's an S-class hero and the relativity between his coolness level and the, and the other S-class heroes is, is actually quite equitable. And everyone below S-class is sort of lesser introduced. Which would be different if you were to write the story and the way Boku no Hero is written, where we follow Midoriya and pretty much every hero is the same because to, I mean, same in the term of class and, and coolness, because Midoriya is studying everybody and it doesn't matter what their power is, he finds them all interesting and it's all useful to him. I think it's really important to have a really good supporting cast um, in that instance. And it works really well in something like One Punch Man. You know, I'm glad you brought this up because it reminds me of something I wanted to discuss on the previous episode, which is the concept of an iconic hero versus an epic hero. So on one end of the spectrum, you have the iconic hero, who's really a function of a particular theme or symbol. And personality-wise, they remain consistent throughout the story. Examples include Superman, Sherlock Holmes, James Bond, or even Saitama, who you were talking about a minute ago. And with iconic heroes, you don't see much of a character transformation. With the example of James Bond, in every 007 film, he's more or less the, the same character doing what James Bond does best. Fighting bad guys, seducing women, and looking cool and suave whilst doing so. On the other hand, you have the epic hero who evolves as the story progresses. A great example outside of manga is Star Wars, where you have both Luke and Anakin Skywalker. And by the, by the time the story ends, both characters are radically different to how they, they used to be at the beginning of the story. Now, the iconic versus epic hero dichotomy is more of a spectrum rather than an either-or dynamic, but it's important to consider because... It's important to consider because the way you think of your supporting characters will be very different depending on whether or not you have an iconic hero or an epic hero. So we were talking about One Punch Man earlier, and Saitama is definitely more on the iconic hero end of the spectrum. And that's why the creator of One Punch Man, One, uses Janus and the other supporting characters to drive the story forward. Also, Saitama's insane strength and quirky personality just doesn't have the same effect unless there's a witness, someone else reacting to him, then it really sinks in. This guy is hilarious, yet he's also really, 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 really strong. Now, if you have an epic hero, the dynamic is very different because it's easier for readers to empathize with these kind of characters. So we feel the weight of each emotional arc as the story progresses. However, with supporting characters or with the supporting characters, they're still important because in many cases, they challenge and expand the epic hero's viewpoint. A great example is Naruto. On the surface, you could say it's a story about ninjas, but the truth is it's actually a story about what it means to be a ninja. Naruto has one of the richest selection of supporting characters that I've ever come across. And what I really love is seeing each character tell us what they think it means to be a ninja and seeing how these contrasting philosophies force Naruto to constantly question his own ideas 
and his own viewpoint. One really good example of this in Naruto is his rivalry with Sasuke. And I know you had a few things to say about that, Bill. So one of the cool things about protagonists, and I hope I'm saying that right, one of the cool things about um, rival characters, rather, is that, like I said before, they, they, they push your, your main character. And you can, you can see that this is as much potential that your main character needs to be able to, to beat the, the secondary character where he, she, or they are at the moment. In, in Naruto, Sas- Sasuke and Naruto's rivalry is pretty much off the bat. But there is a, like, a, like a large section at the beginning that um, Naruto is just doing his own thing. And it's only when they start doing the, the tree climbing training. Basically, they can gather ninja energy to the bottom of their feet and they can walk on any surface, be it water or up a tree. This time it was up a tree. And Naruto like, has a special quality about him, his, his friendliness and his um, unlimited chakra. But Sasuke is the one who is a, a genius which is a term frequently used in, in shonen manga. He, he's a genius who can pick up things very quickly. And to be able to counter that, Naruto has to work twice as hard to reach that level of genius. And it's that competitiveness that made you like Naruto even more. Like, you can say that he's a hard worker, to, but, but to actually see it illustrated in such a way that you, you're rooting for him, it got to the point where... I think it was that chapter that was actually the first time that Naruto was on the cover of Shonen Jump. Actually, Bill, I don't think it was just the fact that Naruto made it to the front cover of Shonen. For people who don't know, by the way, Shonen is the major publisher in Japan. They publish all of the popular comic books. I think what it was, was it was the first time Naruto made it to the top of the Shonen rankings. In other words, it was the most popular comic in Japan based on a fan poll that carried out by Shonen. And I think it's really telling because another thing about Naruto that strikes me is the fact that they have such a rich selection of characters or supporting characters and you meet many people who are like, oh, I don't really identify with Naruto or even Sasuke, who is arguably the second most important character. You find a lot of people who are like, I love Neji or Rock Lee or Gara or Hinata. And these are all supporting characters in the show. And, and, and that's, that's one cool thing that supporting characters can do for you is that we all have our, our, our tastes in terms of the kind of characters that we like to see. And when you have a rich selection of supporting characters, it means that even if a potential reader doesn't like the, the main character or the main villain or even any of the major characters, there might be minor characters that they love and keep them invested in the show. You know, when I think of the first half of Naruto, the battle, because Naruto is all about battles and, 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 and fighting, or that's a big part of the show. And the most, the most striking or the most memorable battle for me has always been Rock Lee versus Gara. If you haven't watched Naruto, this is a fight between two supporting characters. But the emotional arc there is so powerful. And, and for a moment, you forget that this is Naruto. And this is about Naruto, or this is Naruto's story. And you're so immersed in the individual narratives of both Rock Lee and Gara, And I think that that's really one of the biggest strengths of, of Naruto is, is the sheer quality of the supporting characters. And really, um, it doesn't matter whether the perspective um, 
of the story is being told by the secondary characters or by the primary character, you really need a really good supporting cast, whatever direction you decide to take. It doesn't matter what perspective you choose to tell your story from, whether it's from the secondary characters or it's from the primary character. You really need a, a well-developed, well-thought-out um, supporting cast. And I don't think any manga that I've read, I'm putting that in a disclaimer, <laughs> I've read, does it better than Hunter x Hunter. Hunter x Hunter, we follow the world through Gone Freaks. It's the main character. And he's innocent. And this contrasts a lot of the ideas that he has about the world. And it's very much a, a coming-of-age story. But the wonderful thing that Hunter x Hunter does is that there's a, an entire arc where we do not see Gone. And Gone or the, the main secondary character, the, the rival character, uh, Killua. Killua. We do not see them for an entire arc. They, the, the, the author goes and develops all of his supporting cast. And it's something that I honestly do appreciate that, and it's something I've spoken about before, about your world should be able to go on without your, your main character or your main characters. And it does in, in Hunter x Hunter. One of the big things in, in Hunter x Hunter that's also apparent in, in One Piece is that it doesn't matter how strong you are uh, in terms of, in, in, in quotation marks, like, you know, like you would assume that Madara is the strongest person in, in Naruto, Madara being the antagonist. But the power scaling is all different in, in, in Hunter x Hunter. Everyone is a thinker. And in that way, you know that these people aren't just, just characters, they're not lines on a, on a page. You could actually write an entirely different story about these supporting characters. And that is powerful writing, something that I aspire to do at least one day. You know, when you put it like that, I'm really glad we decided to make Hunter x Hunter or Hunter Hunter, if you prefer, our manga of the week, because you, you're right, actually, there aren't really that many better stories to look at when studying the art of crafting compelling supporting characters that will make readers fall in love with your story. And the dynamic you were talking about earlier, this whole idea that you can literally read several issues of Hunter Hunter without the main character or even the second major character, Killua, you can literally read like five or ten issues without either of those characters and still you're not questioning what's going on, is, is actually really typical of epic heroes. And it really highlights the epic hero versus iconic hero dichotomy because with iconic heroes, you can't do that. You can't have Sherlock Holmes, a, a Sherlock Holmes book, without the character of Sherlock Holmes. You can't have a 007 film without 007. I mean, obviously, there's some exceptions, but readers will recognize that as unusual. The closest thing you can do is just reinvent the character so for example with doctor who i think the female doctor who recently debuted a couple of weeks ago they changed spider-man from peter parker to miles morales but there still needs to be a doctor who there still needs to be a spider-man and that's something to consider when choosing between an epic hero or an iconic hero but we're running a little bit over time we're probably going to be about five minutes over today but there are a couple of essential things that we still need to cover 
for this episode. And one of them is character design, because that's, you know, we've spoken about the types of supporting characters you will see. We've spoken about why supporting characters are important, but then how do you actually construct supporting characters? And one really, really important component is the character design. We mentioned Naruto and Hunter Hunter as two of the greatest examples of, of stories with amazing supporting characters. And that is in thanks in no small part to the unique and fantastic character design that you will see across the story. Every character has a unique design that makes them stand out and also complements their personality. For example, with Naruto, he's blonde. I mean, no one else in his village except for his dad is, is blonde. And, and that already makes him stand out. And then he also wears these flamboyant colors as well. And then he has these little marks on his cheeks that, I mean, in case you haven't read Naruto, I'm not going to tell you why he has those marks on the cheek, but on his cheeks, but you you figure that out really soon. But that already conveys so much information about the characters. It's just without even being able to hear the characters speak or understand their story, a really strong character design should be able to communicate several things about the character and their personality. You know, a, a story that we bash a lot on this podcast is, is Bleach. And again, Bleach, one thing that Bleach does really well is the character design. So I have to give them credit for that. The, 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 the characters in Bleach, many of them are Shinigamis or Soul Reapers, Death Gods, and they all wear a uniform, but each character wears their uniform slightly differently to give them a unique flavor. And then they all have swords and the shape of their swords are all different when they when they release their swords, which is a dynamic in the show. So you can release your sword to show its true shape. And each sword has its own unique shape and unique power. And that's also another strength of Bleach. But then it also ends up being a weakness because then what happens is you get too many characters and then it becomes too difficult to come up with unique designs. I mean, there are only so many ways one can reinvent the Death God uniform, for example. And I knew we were going to come to Bleach as our... Where, where can you go wrong? <laughs> That's what we've been doing. I'm so sorry, Kubo. I'm so sorry. Um, so we need to watch more, on... more weak no. examples, but yeah, keep going. No, Bleach, Bleach does so well. <laughs> the dead horse. Um, so going with your visual um, explanation, yes, people have actually noted that some of the antagonists um, if, you, if you read the manga and not just watch the anime, some of the antagonists just look like copy-paste of Aizen with different haircut. And it's... As soon as you make that association, like, the character... Oh, and by the way, he's re weakened. referring specifically to Bleach. It wasn't clear before. Oh, yes, 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 definitely. Um, yeah. The, so the, the villains in Bleach, yeah. Yeah, when, 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 you, when two villains of different arcs of no relation whatsoever look the same, you've weakened the second one's presence or I don't know what the word is, but the, yeah, there we go. The impact the character has visually is so diminished. It is Ginjo. I think he's at the end of the anime and in the second last arc of the manga. He looks just like Aizen with a different haircut and different clothes. So you're just like <laughs> thinking the whole time, is Aizen just going to pop up? So that is an art flaw. And as much as this is a writing uh, podcast, it's something very crucial to make note of. 
<laughs> I wish we had another manga to to use instead of Bleach, but the, it really does highlight the point. If you if you make two characters look too similar, then the second character will always lose their impact, especially if you're modeling them after a character who had previously been so iconic. In any case, I'm going to drop one last tool and then just quickly summarize all the key points. But the last thing in your arsenal or that I would suggest adding to your arsenal is foreshadowing. So previously I brought up Shakespeare and how Shakespeare often will foreshadow a character. So you'll have two characters talk about, you'll have character A and character B talk about character C before we see character C. Hopefully that's not too confusing. But... The idea is you have two characters talking about a character or mentioning a character so that when they come in, we already have a, a an opinion of that character. Where I've seen this done really well is in Naruto. So in Naruto, you have these military leaders known as the Hokages who are extremely powerful ninjas. And you hear of the legend of the first Hokage or the second Hokage or the third or the fourth. And so when we actually see those characters appear in the show, we're like, whoa, this is the legendary fourth Hokage. And, and it really does something to, 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 it makes your character appearance come in with a bang. But that's it for today, guys. So to summarize, we have different types of supporting characters, love interest, mentor, companion, rival. Those are the most common types. Then supporting characters are important because they bring your story to life. Secondly, character design is one of the most important components when constructing compelling supporting characters and finally if you foreshadow those characters you can really create a lot of impact in the minds or you can create a lot of expectations in the minds of your readers and then impact when you finally bring in those characters so use those four tools and lastly here's a bit of homework for this week your writing prompt is to write a job description for each of your supporting characters and then have the character that you have in your head actually fill out, apply for that job and have a job interview with that character. So you write a job, job description for love interest. And then let's say your love interest's name is Inoue. So Inoue rings you up and she's like, hi, I'd like to apply for the role of job of love interest. And then you literally write out a dialogue with you interviewing Inoue as to why she would make a good love interest. Cool. Cool indeed. Let's wrap up for today. So guys, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Manga University. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we're now on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com forward slash university of manga as all one word you can say hi to us let us know what you think about the show or alternatively you can just leave us a rating and review on itunes or your favorite podcast platform it's been a pleasure and we will see you next week where we'll be talking about antagonists villains bad guys <laughs>